Okay, so today uh, I would like to uh, present some preliminary findings and steps uh, towards quantifying uh, conflict platform uh, five dimensions. So first I would like to talk a little bit about protracted conflicts and why they are actually so specific and complicated. Then I would like to look at current uh, quantitative approaches and uh, discuss a little bit how well they are equipped to uh, assess and analyze uh, those type of conflicts. And from the title you can already say that I'm not that much happy about how they actually deal with them. So we try to offer a solution for this, uh, which to a certain extent uh, brings this micro-level conflict analysis and macro-level anal uh, conflict analysis uh, together. So as Anita said, my, my, my job in conflict platform is basically to quantify those uh, five dimensions. And when I started thinking about that, I realized, well, if I want to quantify which actors are involved, uh, which methods are used in conflict, and we want to go beyond the state borders, I actually need to know where the conflict is, where the violence is happening. Uh, but I don't have the guidance of the state borders. So I realized that we need to actually create a new geographical unit, which more accurately uh, portrays conflicts. Sometimes conf uh, quantitative uh, conflict researchers, they call it conflict zones. <coughs> so Anita mentioned that we look at protracted conflicts and actually we have 10 focal cases which we use uh, for our analysis for searching for patterns of change in conflict. And uh, these are the 10 uh, cases uh, seven of them are protracted conflicts according to the definition of International Red Cross uh, and three, Mexico, Nigeria and Ukraine, they are conflicts with the potential becoming, uh, to become protracted. So what is essentially a protracted conflict? Uh, there is a quote uh, from International Red Cross which says it's they typically involve a tangled history of several different and sometimes simultaneous conflicts. It means that it might start as one, but suddenly, at, at, at some point, it mutated, it creates new conflicts, it swallows new, uh, other conflicts, etc., etc. And the complexity, uh, complexity of those protracted conflicts is often given by the longevity and uh, intractability. So they are com complex, lots of actors are involved, and they last very long. So they are. And uh, now I would like to talk about a few uh, specific characteristics which can make actually quantitative analysis of those type of conflicts really difficult. So, for example, uh, there is often change of the main conflict uh, issue. So if you look, for example, at one of our focal cases, uh, Horn of Africa, we can see that the conflict in Somalia or Horn of Africa started actually with the Somali dissatisfaction with the borders after they got independence. They started uh, several border conflicts with Kenya and Ethiopia. So it was international, basically, uh, conflict. But then the escalation of those conflicts led to uh, ousting of the, of the Somali president Barry because it led to uh, increase of the opposition to, to his uh, autocratic rule there was no central power, then clans started fighting more and more for uh, resources and power, and that this vacuum was actually uh, grabbed by 
some Islamist groups and led to Islamist insurgents. Here we could see uh, ICU, then Al Shabaab, etc., etc. And the rise of the Islamists at some point led also to some uh, interventions from uh, other states. Uh, if you look at databases, you would see all those things as a separate conflict in most of the situations, right? But essentially, it's a one conflict which is very long and very complicated. There's another thing. Um, those conflicts, they often change their location. So here we have a Boko Haram activity or Boko Haram insurgency. The dots here, those are basically violent events that can be battles, for example. And this is 2009, basically the, the start of the insurgency here. And here we have Nigeria. Um, then we can look that in 2011, the conflict expanded, right? In 2014, we see uh, some new actors uh, in the conflict, and we see that the conflict is moving more towards the borders. And you can actually see that it's getting to Cameroon here. In 2016, we see that the con conflict is much smaller, there's way more actors, and it's crossing borders even more, right? Uh, another thing, borders, it's not only that the, the conflicts are changing their locations, but they are very often freely crossing the borders. We think often borders are something which contains people, uh, specific authorities, but not, not, not really often, and especially in the areas where we see those protracted conflicts. The borders are very often arbitrary, they are social constructs, and for example in Africa very often results of the colonial uh, history. So people tend to ignore them, the local people. You can see lots of smuggling uh, of people, guns, goods, etc. And people challenge them. Lots of, uh, lots of movements trying to secede from their states actually starts in borderlands. Borders or border regions, they say, uh, they, uh, they are often safe havens because the authority of the states are very often limited because they are very remote. And the last thing which I would like to mention, and which makes the quantitative analysis very complicated, is that uh, lots of protracted conflicts, but also other conflicts, they create new or spin <coughs> conflicts. So for example, uh, if you look at one of our uh, focal case, Myanmar, we see there's lots of rebel groups, right? And for example, current rebel groups fighting the central government in Myanmar they often rely on the, on the support of current refugees who reside uh, often in Thailand, right? But the Myanmar government doesn't really like that much that Thailand essentially provides safe haven and some resources to the rebels fighting them. So in 2010, 2012, we could see some border skirmishes because of that issue. Uh, we can see also escalation of the old conflict. Um, in 1994, after the genocide in Rwanda, lots of Hutus, they fled to surrounding countries. Many of them went to Zaire, or currently the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, Rwanda, Rwandan government wanted to uh, prosecute those people who committed genocide, because many of those refugees were actually members of Interhave uh, militia. But the president of Zaire, Mobutu, he didn't want to do that. So Rwandan government, started arming the local Tutsis in Zaire, and also enlisted uh, Lauren Kabila, 
to fight against, to go against uh, the Tsar uh, president. Of course, Mobutu president was autocratically, uh, autocratic president who faced opposition before. There were protests, there were deaths. So we could say that we could see before a violent political conflict. But what happened after enlisting Kabila, that was one of the bloodiest war uh, in Africa. Right, so just to wrap it up, uh, we can see that the protracted <coughs> conflicts, they often mutate. Uh, they change the original contested issue. That's, what, that's why it's very hard to track them in, in, in lots of uh, databases. Then they changed location from one part to another, which might be difficult to actually pin down the, the geographical um, variables which can affect, uh, for example, how long the conflict is. And then they cross the borders, which very often means that they, in, in quantitative databases, they are actually uh, assigned or listed as a different conflict because conflicts are very often split based on, on, uh, on the state location or made location in a state. And then they create spin-off conflicts, new conflicts which are often perceived as unrelated. Right. So let's have a look how the current approaches tackle those issues. So very often when you look at uh, quantitative uh, analysis of states, we, uh, quantitative analysis of conflicts, especially in the early stages, we could see that the state was the unit of analysis. But we know that conflicts are usually uh, limited to only certain parts of states, right? And they do not respect borders. Uh, we know, for example, from Boal and Rujawa that uh, the state-level uh, variables, such as GDP per capita population density, are very different uh, in those zones of conflicts than if you look at the average level of those, uh, of those variables. Then we could see at some point that, uh, that uh, some uh, researchers try to kind of unbox uh, states. They look what is inside. They try to look who rebels, which ethnic groups, which ethnic groups are more prone to rebellion, more prone to challenge uh, the, the state. But again, they just opened the box, but they didn't go beyond the borders. Uh, now, ethnic power relationships, they are trying to, uh, they, they actually have a database of, of trans-border ethnic uh, ties which is a nice step forward, but still there is the border which separates ethnic groups. So then we, you have, uh, for example, Kurds, and you have uh, four or five ethnic groups in the database, but they are Kurds. And it's sometimes difficult in the analysis to put the link together. Uh, then you see that uh, researchers focus on actors, on specific actors, usually armed groups. And they look at how cer uh, certain characteristics of those actors actually affect, for example, how long the conflict lasts, um, how little the conflict is. But the problem is that the actors do not operate in vacuum. If you look, for example, at Colombia, you cannot just look at FARC. You need to look at other guerrilla or other uh, and paramilitaries because their uh, characteristics uh, affect the activities of the other armed groups in the region. The step forward was definitely uh, looking at conflict diets, looking at rebel government uh, power ratio or rebel-rebel group power ratio. But the problem is that the conflict is not always only about diets. It's not just a pair of actors 
it's more, it's more complicated. And then recently, you could see that there's lots of data collection effort where, for example, UCDP, Q-reference, uh, event, uh, Q-reference conflict event uh, data set or ACLA data, where you actually get uh, data on individual uh, violent events, right? And those are often linked to actors or diets of actors. And for example, uh, Chiba and Gladish, they try to forecast conflict onset and conflict termination by looking at classic variables for prediction of civil war, but also adding to those dyadic, dyadic uh, analysis uh, some information about uh, the conflict events. Uh, they found that it can actually help a little bit with the forecast, but not much. It was not really substantial uh, improvement. Well, I believe it's because the conflict diet is not the accurate portrait of the situation. So let's have a look at the map. For example, here we have a conflict event in the Colombia conflict setting in 2001. And if we focus on the state, we get only those blue dots, but there are some, for example, here red ones, which are not included, even though this is uh, a dot which uh, involves FARC. If you look at uh, armed groups and we focus on FARC, then, again, the blue dots are represents where FARC was involved, but the red dots usually is ELN and, uh, and government or other, uh, other groups. So we basically uh, lose quite a bit of information about the conflict. And now we can look at da uh, diets, for example, FARC and uh, government. And again, uh, we have even more red dots here. So the point is we try to put all those things together in a reasonable way. One more thing here, and suddenly because of the uh, contrast, you cannot really see it. It's here we can see basically a network of, of uh, the interactions uh, between uh, different actors. So government of Colombia is fighting FARC and ELN, and then paramilitaries are fighting FARC and ELN in 2001. If you look at the longer period, we see more complicated picture. We see here uh, FARC, ELN, uh, some paramilitaries, cartels added to it, etc., etc. I'm sorry, it's not that visible because of the contrast here. Okay, could you just explain yeah. the grey uh, band? The grey, well, the, the thing is that the grey band was supposed to look like this. Yeah. And that basically shows uh, how my, um, the grey is basically uh, the number of conflict events between those actors. So you can see that, uh, okay, that's touch screen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Uh, how do I do it? This way, no. Uh, okay. so, so are you saying that at the beginning it, they were, it was the government against FARC? But that was 2001, uh, just in Yeah, December. but as, as time went by, ELN became more significant. No, that's as just aggregate of, uh, from 1989 till 2016. The, the point actually is of this picture, which is better here, is that you can see that the government is fighting FARC, ELN, EPL, uh, then we have uh, paramilitaries fighting, uh, fighting those uh, left-wing guerrillas. Then we have added to it cartels. And the lines actually shows you how all those actors are connected and the connections are essentially the battles between them. And this demonstrates uh, that we, the diets are just not enough. 
Right. So the, uh, the US approaches to conflict, uh, to conflict analysis, are conflict zones. Lots of researchers doing quantitative research, they express the need for conflict zones, going beyond state borders, and create conflict zones which would actually move with time, which would not be static. Uh, but that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not uh, that easy job. One of the first attempts was in 2012 by Puhark and Gates, and they basically create a conflict uh, scope. The conflict scope is this circle, this circle here. What they did, they look at conflicts, find a central point, and then do a circle around it. And they look at the area, how big the area <coughs> is, and they try to correlate it with, uh, for example, how long the conflict is. And they found larger the scope is, longer the conflict is. But this, you can see, it's not really accurate representation of what is happening. Here, the new, one of the newest uh, attempts is by Beardsley, Fladish, and Lowe, and they basically look at the, <coughs> at the conflict events and try to create a convex hull here. And you can see here, these dots are the conflict events. So basically, create a, a shape which would include all those conflict events. But again, as you can see here, I mean, this is, this is one event here, 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 and here. So this bit here might not be part of the conflict at all. So again, it's not really accurate representation of that. Not to mention that they are using conflicts from Uppsala data, which are essentially, in most of the cases, diets. In, for example, in Colombia, it's quite good. They use the conflict rep, uh, groups, uh, government of Colombia, FARC, ELN, and EPL. But if you look, for example, at Nigeria and Somalia, mostly the conflict, uh, conflicts, according to Uppsala, they equal diets. As I said, the situation is much more complicated. So, what we need to do, we need to create a geographic unit which would be changing over time, uh, would not be dependent on state borders, and would address the connections between different related conflicts. So, how do we do it? So, before, before I start, uh, I would like to say our definition of war or conflict is based on Goldstein, and uh, he said that war is essentially lethal intergroup violence. Lethal means that it causes at least one fatality, an intergroup means that we focus on actors by, uh, when we're trying to define the, the, the geographic units and their interaction between them. So first, we look at each alpha conflict uh, focal case and identify the main conflicts and then look at the, and try to find the related conflict, basically trace the evolution, or the, the evolution of the conflict over time. Once you have that, we look inside of those conflicts and identify the relevant actors. We get the list of the relevant actors from Uppsala uh, data, and then we use the, the conflict events from Uppsala and identify the relevant events by looking at if that event uh, uh, includes two of our relevant actors, basically our two relevant actors are clashing, that's our relevant events, and that event uh, should help us to uh, draw the new geographical unit. So example how we actually do it. Here, uh, Boko Haram and Jurgensi. Uh, I, I wrote here quantitative uh, tracing since 2009. What I mean is that I'm, I'm doing the quantitative part of the project, and quantitatively, the conflict demonstrates in the data from Uppsala in 2009, not before. 
the qualitative part of the project of the conflict platform can actually trace the roots before 2009. But I'm focusing on 2009 because of the data. So the main conflict is still Islamist insurance led by Boko Haram, but later on uh, it was joined by other groups. The related conflict is sectarian violence between Shia and Sunni. And as you surely know, there are some other conflicts in, uh, in, uh, in Nigeria. Niger Delta separatism, and then also farm pastors conflict. But we didn't include them because they are not uh, related to Islamist insurgency or sectarian violence here. Uh, the Niger Delta separatism, the, the reason for, for not including is clear because it's a different location and the actors are not almost at all co uh, connected. The farm pastors conflict is a little bit complicated. But because we, uh, we do not rely only on quantitative data, we have also regional experts, which are mostly people who did field work in those 10 focal cases. We can always, when we are not sure, so for example, here we are not sure about whether to include farm pastoralist conflict, we can reach out to them and discuss whether we should include it, whether those conflicts are actually related. And although some of the actors here uh, in this conflict are Muslims, and you could see, oh, I see Christian Muslim uh, conflict dynamic here, based on, on, on discussion with experts, you cannot say that actually um, Boko Haram either recruits or side with, uh, with the Muslims in, in this conflict. It's more random. So based on that, we identified the following uh, actors and then selected the conflict uh, events. So I can actually show you a map. Um, yeah. Just a moment. Right. So here we see a map of Nigeria. The blue dots are those which we include in the co uh, in our conflict setting, and the red dots which not. So you can see how is it actually changing, and it's uh, and it's moving slowly more towards the borders, and it's crossing the borders here. So I will stop it here, just to show you what are examples of the blue dots. The blue dots here, for example, uh, government of Nigeria, and this long name is essentially Boko Haram. Here, the red dots are uh, terrible fighting or pastor, uh, the, the, the farmers uh, had this conflict. Right. Okay. Um, when we get back, you can look at Colombia conflict, which is different. It's not a sub- uh, state uh, conflict, or it's not located in a, uh, in, a, uh, in a region of a state, it's essentially covering all state and slowly crossing borders too. The main conflict here is Colombia versus left in Kenya. Uh, the related conflicts or the evolution of the conflict which you could trace is that paramilitaries uh, uh, started fighting uh, left in guerrilla, then we have uh, drug cartels and other uh, criminal groups joining in. And here is the list of the relevant actors we got, and I can show you again the map. Yeah, it's much faster on my laptop. Okay, <laughs> mm. here we go. So again, the blue dots are the ones which we include, and the red dots which we uh, don't. In this situation, the red dots are slightly different, and I will pose it and explain it. 
you see quite a lot of red dots here. And that's related to our definition of conflict or of, uh, of war, when you say intergroup violence. But many of those dots uh, are FARC, which is a relevant actor, and civilians. The problem with this here is that we don't really know whether civilians represent a specific group or not. It, can, it might not be intergroup violence, but it might be within group violence, just to send a signal within group, right? So we do not include it for our drawing of, uh, of the geographic unit. Um, but as you can see, and I will show you later, uh, it doesn't matter much because uh, those which are civilians and, uh, and the relevant actors are mostly in the same area as, uh, as the intergroup uh, violence. Also, again, we discuss these allocations of those dots and of those events with the regional experts, and they, they point out if we actually miss something important or some important part or region of that conflict, and then we can correct, we can actually go and try to trace whether the event, uh, whether the violence against civilians in that specific region actually was intergroup violence or not, and then we can include it. Right. Now, uh, how do we actually draw that uh, uh, new geographical unit? We basically create a conflict polygon. So first we start with the dots. Those are the identified dots for Boko Haram insurgency. Uh, and this is just, for example, uh, 2014. So one dots here. So violent events are dots. Then we create an uh, area which is shaped by the dots. And we use for that algorithm for concave half, uh, which I believe is more precise than the previous one, the convex hole, which I show you by previously uh, Gladish and uh, Law. So the difference between concave and convex hole uh, is the following. We have the events here, and that can be a shape of borders or, or a conflict zone here. And convex hull would be the whole thing here. But nothing is happening over here. That's why we use concave hull instead of the convex hull to avoid this empty space. The interesting thing is that in international uh, relations or conflict literature, you usually see convex hull, so people would include this. But if you go to environmentalist literature, or for example, forest studies, you see lots of variations of concave hull, which is more, more precise. So we have concave hull, but we are not finished with that, because we know that the geo uh, reference conflict events are not always exactly accurate if it comes to location. Whiteman studied uh, <coughs> data for Afghanistan, and he cross-referenced them with, for example, information from soldiers. And he found out that 75% of georeference events in Uppsala data have uh, a spatial error below uh, 15, uh, 50 kilometers. That means that basically 75% of the events are plus minus 50 kilometers correctly located. So to, to mitigate for this potential problem, we include this red, uh, the, this uh, blue line here as a buffer zone, which is essentially 50 uh, kilometers here. And then we are not yet finished there, uh, because you might say, OK, well, you have nice area. You see the shape. And now you know nothing about it quantitatively, right? Uh, what's the population density? You get population density for, for state as such, maybe for administrative unit. That's why we link <coughs> our, our data, our events, and our, our shape 
uh, with PrioGrid. PrioGrid is it's a very nice project, which is basically a square or grid shape uh, with uh, resolutions uh, 0.5 by 0.5 decimal degrees. Grids you can or you can imagine that you have a globe and you put a net uh, of grids over it. And what is really interesting is that each of those little squares which are at the equator 50 by 50 kilometers roughly, they contain in information about population density, uh, about uh, discrimination of ethnic groups, uh, nightlights which can be pro nice proxies for uh, economic development, uh, also information about natural resources. Therefore, we get nice information about those crucial in, uh, indicators for conflict uh, for our new uh, unit. So I, uh, uh, I just explained how we, how we actually built our, uh, our uh, geographic unit for conflict setting, but it certainly has some limitations. It's, and I, I'm sure that you will find many more. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking for your uh, feedback. So first of all, if you create new geographical unit, you have access to less data. And that's true because lots of data are four states. Right. And it's very difficult to disaggregate it and put it into the shape which you just created. But thanks to PrioGrid, we can actually mitigate for that and get all those data which <coughs> we need. Then you can say, oh, you might have a possible selection bias. We are now currently working with 10 cases. And the selection is, ba is basically the protracted conflicts where the UN has prisons or strong prisons. And those are specific cases. You don't see uh, strong UN prison, uh, presence in Caucasus, in Russian part of Caucasus, right? That's just not going to happen. Uh, but we are aware of that. We are aware of those uh, specific characteristics. Uh, so I believe with the proper interpretation of the results and putting them into context, we can mitigate for that. Also, once we have all the data together and we are in the process of collection of the data, we have currently two cases and in the process five more cases, but not finished yet. Um, I'm sure that we will be able to apply advanced statistical methods such as matching <coughs> to deal with that uh, possible bias. And then, as I mentioned already before, the UCDP data, they suffer from several biases. It can be, again, <coughs> Not, uh, it might be problems with accuracy of the data if it comes to location. Sometimes they, uh, you can see that more remote the area is, less precise uh, uh, the informations are, or they can be completely missed. But again, we, for that, we add the buffer zone. So if the location is not precise, then we can actually uh, uh, mitigate for that. And again, we talk to the regional experts who do the field work there, therefore, uh, I'm sure if there would be some important event happening which could actually change the shape of our uh, unit, we would not miss that. <coughs> but we have also several advantages. So first of all, the geographical unit portrays much better, in much better way uh, what is actually happening uh, in those focal cases. We do not separate conflicts if they are closely related. We put them uh, reasonably together. Also, we can see the dynamic over time, right? You can see how is it developing. And thanks to PrioGrid, we have not only information or lots of data about the uh, spatial, uh, about the uh, geographical unit, but we have also lots of variation within uh, that unit, 
you could see there was lots of grid, so we get specific information for each of those squares. Um, last thing which I would like to say is that in the future, because we are still at the beginning, we are still collecting the data, we are still improving the methodology. Um, the, the goal is to create methodological guidelines which, uh, uh, which uh, could help uh, to other people to build their own geographical unit of uh, setting of organized violence for other protracted conflicts, for example, those in uh, Caucasus. Uh, and to help those other people, we are working on an interactive website and I'm hoping to write an R package which could do quite a bit of that work which I demonstrated fairly automatically or automatize uh, the work for other people. Um, and if we see that the other people are using, then we get more results. We can compare those results, the patterns of change uh, within protracted conflicts, and then we can actually generalize more from that. Uh, the ultimate goal is quantification of those five dimensions. And as I said, you cannot quantify something, if, if you cannot quantify the key indicators of conflict, if you don't know where is the conflict happening, what are the borders of the conflict, and not, if I'm talking about borders, not only geographically. So for that, we, create, uh, we are working on the conflict setting, and once we have that, we actually know where the conflicts are, how they are developing, they can actually more precisely uh, quantify how many ethnic groups are actually discriminated. What type of methods exactly are used in those specific areas? Not on average uh, in the whole state or some large areas around those conflicts, but specifically in that conflict. And that can help us more to trace um, the changes and, uh, in different dimensions and their impact on, on civilians. And that's it uh, from me. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>